Good morning. Our great projectionist, Matt Brown, who never misses a cue, said this is my only chance to wear a robe onto stage as we're getting to Song of Solomon. And I realize now I regret not taking up that opportunity. I could also have the bubble pipe too as well, right? As to kind of make the whole effect. Welcome to E3. My name is Pastor Scott again. I'm excited you joined us this morning. Um, I was talking with my wife actually, and she said, boy, last week you had a diversity dialogue on race, and now we're just jumping right into sex. And so you're either going to really make people excited and thrilled to be a part of this church or say, what kind of church is this? In all truthfulness, we're excited to be a part of that, such a sermon series talking about kind of fortune cookie wisdom where we have these wisdom sayings that come out of a fortune cookie, so to speak, but then seeing what does scripture say? What does the Bible say? And how as we as Christians, how can we model healthy wisdom in a world that really does quite need it? So I'm excited to jump in the topic today. Last week, just want to say thank you again to our dialogue and so many dialogues that have happened this week because of the dialogue we had on stage and knowing that we'll take what they said, what we're taking this entire sermon series in a couple weeks, I'll take it all together and, and say, how can we apply the entire sermon series into our church, into our individual lives? So thank you to that panel and all the work they did last week. Cue applause. There it is. Sometimes you just got to get a cue. It's okay. It's okay. This week, this week, we are talking about sex. And so if you are a person who says, boy, I have a middle schooler who doesn't want to go to middle school time, or if I'm just in in a place where I'm not sure about this sermon, there is no judgment, and we're going to be playing a game here in a moment where you can sneak out easily, and there will be no judgment upon you at all. Because it is a topic that's, that's very uncomfortable, and it makes us giggle like middle schoolers. So let's do our best middle school giggle right now. Ready? One, two, three. There we go. That was really good. There's no redo on that. That is, we could like bottle that up and put on sitcoms for middle schoolers, okay? That is perfect. For this morning, online folk, I hear you. I know you are ready to Google your best pickup lines, okay? Online, write them in the chat right now. In person, I'm gonna be giving you pickup lines where our online folk are typing them into the chat and I'm gonna see what they come up with. I'm gonna give you the first half of a pickup line And then I want you to see if you can figure out what the second half is, okay? And again, middle school giggle, okay? This is going to be just fun. We're just going to wade into this, uh, you know, neck deep. Are you on Wi-Fi? Close. Because I'm feeling a connection. If I had a nickel for every time I saw someone as beautiful as you... Well done. Well done. All right. Third one. Are you Australian? Because you meet all of my qualifications. You know what's on the menu? Me and you. <laughs> Do you like Star Wars? Oh, close. You're, oh, sorry, I don't know it now. Because Yoda only won for me. <laughs> Go ahead. Feel my shirt. It's made of boyfriend material. You had it, you had it. Couple more, couple more while our online folk are Googling. If you were a Transformer, you'd be. Whoa! You two need to meet after church because you were on the same wavelength. That was beautiful. 
Last one. Do you believe in love at first sight? Well done. You've used that before. Well done. <laughs> He's pointing at his wife. That's good. Okay. So listen, listen to this while our online folk are ch- ch- chatting in. Listen to this one. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. It's a song of songs, or what we call Song of Solomon. In some ways, these are ancient pickup lines, though they're not at all. They, they, are, they are lines written in poetry and in verse. And in the ancient Hebrew, they would be beautiful to the ears which heard them in that culture. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on rugged hills. Beautiful poetry. We're going to get into that, but I can't forget my online folk. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Wonderful. If I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Well done, Mary. That was beautiful. Uh, And that's all we got so far. If more come in, I'll revisit those in a moment. That's well done. Well done. Thank you, Mary Coffey. Song of Solomon is a love letter. And it's a love letter that involves very passionate, very descriptive usage of a male and female body. But it never mentions God. I'm going to say that again because that might surprise some of you. A book in the Bible never mentions Yahweh, God, in any form. And if you would actually take this book and read it outside the Bible, I guarantee you'd say, this does not belong in Scripture. I mean, you're saying things about body parts that we don't put in PG-13 movies. It is a love letter, which in ancient poetry would have been seen in some ways like in ancient pickup lines. It takes various talks of anatomy to be discussed in more detail in a moment. Fifty words appear only in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. I'll call it Song of Solomon. Fifty words only appear in that book. And so Bible translators have a hard time. They don't know how to translate these 50 words because there's no other context to understand those words. So they're doing their very best in understanding. But culturally speaking, we don't understand what some of these ancient poetry rhymes actually mean. We don't understand maybe some of the the towers that it references or why we, we understand a full set of teeth is a nice thing, attractive thing but we don't understand exactly why they mentioned the way they mentioned some of these cultural references. Many pickup lines that don't even make sense at all. And the Hebrew speaker of each verse is not always clear. Based on context, we can kind of make sense that there's a man who we assume is Song of Solomon, Solomon, King Solomon. And then there's this woman who appears to be a person who works out in the garden, who doesn't feel like herself is worthy of this man, Solomon's attention. Now, to make it even more awkward... Anyone want to guess, who doesn't have a Bible degree, how many wives Solomon had? Yeah, 300 wives. Yeah, it's too many. That's like 299 too many, right? And, and not, oh, oh. I'm here all week, try the veal. 700 concubines, which means that they are women that he had rights to. So somebody said a thousand, you're right. A thousand different women he potentially could sleep with. And while we do not know the name of this woman, we see that he chooses her and writes this whole love sonnet about her. There are three theories about why this book is in the Bible in the first place. The first one is allegorical, allegorical. It's allegory. Yahweh, God, 
loves his chosen people, Israel. And so the book in some interpreters' minds says that this shows a great love from Solomon to this woman and therefore God to God's people. And Christians, therefore, we say it's Jesus and Jesus's bride, which we call the church. And so Jesus wants to have this intimate kind of love, but when you really think about it, it's kind of icky. I love my Jesus, but I do not want to be in this intimate relationship with Jesus this way. Any amens out there? Yes, there's different types of love. There's a sacrificial love that only Jesus can provide for us. There's a friendship love, which we have with Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine, right? But the physical love we see is not necessarily in that realm. So then there's a second theory about why this is in the book of the Bible, or in the Bible in general, in the book of Solomon, is that it's a natural theory, that this is just a story about sex. Now, over centuries, Christians in particular have a problem with this theory. They're like, ew, no. The Bible shouldn't have this story about sex in it. And so the people who have brought forth this theory usually are condemned or seen as some sort of heretic. Then lastly, and this is an interesting one, it's meant to be a dramatic book of the Bible. Just like you'd have a a play put on, there's two different actors and they act out this scene. It doesn't make sense why it's in the Bible, but maybe in terms of a context, some sort of dramatic reading, kind of like Shakespeare, that maybe this is the reason why God or the writer puts it into the Bible. See, friends, all three have limitations and problems. The challenge is what do we do with this book And what do we do with sex in the Bible and love in general? Song of Solomon is not the only place this appears. Over and over and over in the Old Testament in particular, there are scenes of sexual love that are very troublesome and should be very troublesome for us as Christians. How do we read back in those Old Testament verses? Moreover, most of the sex head we get in the New Testament comes from Paul, who's a single guy. Thank you for the middle school giggle. Here, I'm going to say something that may be revolutionary to some, but oh yeah, sure, for others. But it's a point we have to make as a baseline. Sex and love are different things. See, friends, love is a commitment. Saying I'm going to be with a person. There is a friendship type of love. There is a physical type of love. And then, of course, there's the the commitment type of love, the, the sacrificial love that Jesus portrays so well in his work. We see that throughout all of Scripture that These two types of love are very separate. But in our day and age, these two different terms sometimes become synonymous. For many years, I worked at a place called Boys Town, which helped rehab middle middle school and high school teenagers predominantly into society. And there were the abused, the abusers, and the drug abusers. Those are the three main fields of people. And these three were put into community together, and they had new rules and a whole new world and a whole new lifestyle. And I taught them theology. And every single time, as your theology teacher, I got to teach them sex ed. And it was, it was amazing. They could not see the separation between love and sex. They were the same thing. And it very much skewed their entire role in society, both as men and as women. What is challenging is that we have 5,000 years, give or take, of nuance of the word love and various understanding of what sex is and what is it intended for. Ideally, the purpose of sex is a bonding between two individuals. Ideally. As a Boys Town teacher, I would take two pieces of paper and take a tub of Elmer's glue and I'd just squeeze that glue out there and there was the giggles because they'd always say, (laughs) 
and I put the two pieces of paper together. And I say, this is what happens when you have sex. It's, it's a bonding moment. And therefore, it's painful when two people, because of a variety of reasons, have to become split from one another. Because there is a physical bonding that occurs along with a social and an emotional. And we'll get into a spiritual in a moment. Which is why, potentially, a byproduct of sex is pleasure. And potentially, a byproduct of sex is having a baby. Those are potential, potential byproducts. The purpose is bonding. The potential side effects is pleasure, which isn't always the case for everyone, and babies. But we also have a thousand different cultural nuances and appropriations of love and sex. We see back even in the Old Testament times, we're confronted with polygamy, prostitution, horrible sexual sin that isn't always called about God's people, but many in times endorsed by God's people. In the New Testament, we see that they were living in a world full of pagan God orgies, just be frank, and odd designs of what sex was meant for the community. Sex in the New Testament times is completely different than the way we look at it today. Today, I'm going to say these two words, and many of us, you know exactly what I mean. Swipe left, swipe right. That's how we view intimacy. as some sort of almost an animalistic right that I, I have to have this, this moment in my life. Or there's a second group of us who see celeb- celibacy, excuse me, and only sex until after marriage. And if something happens outside of that very much strict boundary, then our whole world is destroyed, right? For both groups, we see that the flaws of looking at sex in these very programmatic and very isolated ways have had horrible consequences for people. We live in a world where we have a lot of sexual trauma. And we need to figure out new ways of looking at the idea and the concept of sex. It is in the ways where a modern-day Christian is not only confused by sex, but frankly doesn't even know how to engage it at all. We're coming out of decades of proclaiming celibacy as loud as we can, and friends, I'm here to say I don't think we're going to win the war. At one moment, sex could be taboo, a forbidden pleasure, sinful, horrifically submissive, or a scene in Song of Solomon, excuse me, a kinky love story. I grew up in a time of questioning in the early 90s where full house was gospel. And so anything sexual as a Christian was seen as some sort of lustful figure. Who dare, how dare you ask this in the church? Many of you probably have never heard a sermon speak so frankly and so freely about this idea. And friends, I'm here for you. I understand it, but we need to hear it from the pulpit. Over and over and over, as a man growing up in the church, I was told to repress those desires to hold it in until you're married. And friends, that's not necessarily always healthy. We need to dialogue about sex. Today, Christians are seen in general, not as ethereers, in general as a large homophobic movement, which is another take on sex as general, while at the same time feeding their dopamine-filled brains with lustful digital images, all the while marrying and divorcing at an identical rate to non-Christians. We are focusing and trying to say, look over there at that group while I'm busy over here swiping and trying to do this in secret so no one can see the sins that I'm trying to find. Just calling out what it is plainly. All the while, culture around us treats sex mostly like an animalistic right again. If I don't have sex today, I'm obviously not in love. 
And if sex isn't exactly what I want, when I need it, how I need it, then I must have the wrong partner because it's not my fault. Movies, sitcoms, and media just enhance this. Picking on an old-fashioned show, and sorry for bursting some people's bubbles. Anybody seen this show, Friends? Yeah, it's now old-fashioned, just so you know. <laughs> Makes me feel real old. A, a, a group counted the number of sexual partners that the six main characters had in Friends. 85. Over 236 episodes. Now, if you do the math, and of course, Joey led that number. <laughs> but if you do the math, statistically, one in five have a sexual transmitted disease in New York City. So they not only pick up, but they're also spreading around sexually transmitted diseases all throughout that show. I'm sorry I ruined the show for y'all. <laughs> so not only as global Christians, but as non-Christians, we are deficient in our sex lives. Before you're offended, and I hope everyone is to some extent maybe offended at this point in the sermon, let us also remember that the Bible includes a provocative and essential love poem that is meant to give just a little bit of an arousal. As a young teenage camp counselor at a camp called Camp Fontenelle in Fremont, Nebraska, I was in charge of campers who'd come through week by week by week by week by week. And I was surprised. You know, I grew up, I read every single Bible verse I was ever told in Sunday school, and I never sinned. That's a lie. <laughs> but I was surprised at the biblical illiteracy that most of the kids who came into, my, into our camp had never opened a Bible. And so my theory was, I'm going to give the young boys Song of Solomon as the antidote of that. And friends, I would say, hey, guys, look at this Bible, Bible chapter. And I'd open up some... some really kind of provocative verses. And those boys read their Bible like no one else that camp. <laughs> Here's why I think God includes Song of Solomon, not only in scripture, but also includes a lot of sex in the Bible as a whole. See, friends, this is the point. Sex is an area where God would like to be present in your life. One, two, three. No one wants another person in their sex life, Amen. Online community, if I look, absolutely, absolutely, they're, they're, I mean, they're going to say the same thing. When we look at this idea of sex, we want it to be a private thing that's only for me, but friends, God wants to be involved in that area of your life too. There are so many perversions of sex that I cannot tell you my ideal is achievable anymore. I can say overwhelming majority of my pastoral counseling is done in this area. I wouldn't count it up, but I'd say nine out of ten times I do pastoral counseling has to do at some level with sex. But is it in this broken sexuality, I believe God's presence is needed all the more. See, friends, sex in many ways is like a recipe. Many of us will come and treat it not like a recipe. See, we'll go through and we'll say, okay, I'm ready for this amount of sex, and so I'm going to just go in, I'm going to measure very carefully exactly what I need, which is this much romance, and this much, tiny bit of, okay, there we go. And maybe just, you know, I'm going to dice up this egg just a tiny bit. While others of us go in and we say, okay, I have this sex life and this is how I need to treat sex. I need to have all of it at one point and I cannot leave any of it out. I need to be all in and I need to be perfect on this. So here's some eggs. Baby. 
Baking soda? No more room. Once I start creating and mixing ingredients together, I can't separate them back out. And many of us go into sex saying, I have to be all in, 100%, 150%. I can't leave any stone under. I have to go all in. It's me, all of me going in. And that can be disastrous at times for people. Sometimes it can be magnificent. Just as our palates are drastically different, we can have a, a, a cooking baking contest. And some of us may see, think one cookie is the most delicious in the world, and others may think it's disgusting. Similar with whatever you're cooking for the Super Bowl tonight, chili or steak, whatever it is. You, one of you can say medium rare steak is disgusting, and some of you may think well done steak is disgusting, and it is. <laughs> the only thing I've ever said from the pulpit more true. Just as our palates are drastically different, so our needs, our desires, and abilities, we need a recipe provider. I want God to be the Julia Childs in your life. If you don't know who Julia Childs is, you are missing out. You need to ask God into that sex life of yours by praying about sex. Praying before, after sex, potentially. If you're single, pray about that. Sharing desires with God. Sharing that whole side of your life. You say, I never want anybody to know about this. If you share it with God, there will be a transformation and a complete turnaround in this area of your life. As a Song of Songs writer illustrates, sharing this desire can find purpose, meaning, and satisfaction like never before, whether you're married, whether you're dating, whether you've been called to a life of singleness or celibacy. Sometimes, a person, if not called to a sexual life, and then in a culture is seen as kind of weird, they're seen as broken, or sometimes a person has abuse or never feels any pleasure in sex for a variety of reasons. Some of us are easily aroused. Some are unable to be. Sometimes anatomically, the act is not able to be had. Sometimes there are any number of mental blocks or worries that cloud the act. See, friends, the point is this. God wants to be present in all of this and shows it on this book that we call Song of Solomon. When God enters your sex life, God reorients what sex is, a physical act that can bolster mutual, mutual excuse me, and holistic love. God reorients what sex is, a physical act that can bolster mutual and holistic love. When someone takes multiple partners, fantasizes over fictitious and not physically possible women or men, tries to coerce sex. God, friends, can bring healing, can bring restoration, and refocus sexual lives toward holistic health. God will show the value that your physical body brings no matter the stage you're in, 20 years old to 100. And at each stage, God will bring a spiritual aspect of bonding to the physical act that almost never shows up in modern media. Modern media wants teens and 20-somethings on the screen. But friends, someone in their 80s can still have a beautiful sexual life. While Song of Solomon seems like a rock drummer in a yoga session in terms of the overall Bible, what it does not show, or sorry, what, it do, what does it show is that people, is that God wants to be involved in every aspect of your life even the one you may feel least comfortable involving God into.
I'm gonna call up the worship team as we get ready to transition into communion. And as I come up and get set, for the couples in the room, discuss, talk, and even pray for God to be allowed in this area of your life. Being vulnerable, talking about your desires, your wants, needs, and making it mutually beneficial and agreed upon is key. Self-shame, shaming others, looking at fictitious images is not healthy. Speaking words of affirmation like we see in the entire book of Song of Solomon is. For those who are single in this season, know that sex is not a requirement of being a human being. You can giggle on that. But it's a really hard thing for those who are single. In fact, some of the greatest Christians, like I said, of Paul, were celibate. Pray about how and when that side of you may or may not be opened and know that you're no less a person no matter your sexual life. To all, know that each recipe is just a little different and know how that those who make commitments together benefit from taking on a recipe that they can mix together for their entire lives, if God allows. Lastly, parents, talk openly and honestly, like I have, to your middle schoolers when they're ready for this talk. Pretending like it's an aspect that's not there or one that you can't talk openly to your kids will only cause more harm long-term. We must do and be better as a church in this area. Friends, the point is this. Reorient your sex life to God. I want to pray over this before we get into communion. Father, I pray your blessing over the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts that you would be present in all of our lives, not just the ones that we feel comfortable showing on Sunday mornings, but those areas in which we have in the middle of the night where we feel that you aren't present in those private moments. God, remind us of your presence, of your healing power, and your overall presence of allowing you to be the transformer in our lives. Lord, we pray your blessing over all that we have, even in our sex life. We ask this in your name and say together, amen. I want to welcome our middle schoolers back in as we transition to this time of communion. We have open table here at Element 3 Church, which means that all you have to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and you're willing and able to come up and have communion with us. This is a celebration of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for us. And I pray that as you take those elements, the Holy Spirit will transform them as you eat them into not literal body and blood, but a spiritual body and blood that will enter into that hole in your heart and provide hope, focus, and a sense of who you are like never before. For online community, now is the time to get those ready. For those in our church building at this time, we invite you to come Take the elements and remain seated with them until we can all take them together at the end of this next song. And lastly, we provide gluten-free bread in all of our bread and would allow anyone again to come up and receive the elements. I'm gonna pray a blessing over them before you come up and receive them. I invite you to come up as you feel led from the aisles and return to your seats again with the bread and the cup and we'll take them all together at the end of the song. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time. For this time to talk about things that are uncomfortable. There may be areas of profound hurt in our lives. And God, I pray that you would allow this time of communion to reorient, to recenter, and reset us. That each month we come and take this bread, this cup, as a physical reminder of an eternal truth that while we were yet sinners, you came and gave yourself up on a cross for our benefit. 
Lord, may we come to this altar with arms open wide and embrace this gift of love, this gift of yourself, of your literal body and blood, and may it infuse in us through your Holy Spirit a truth that will never leave us, that you love us deeply and cared enough for us in our sinful state to die on a cross for our sins. May that carry us through not only this next song and this next moment of receiving your body and blood, but for our eternities. And regardless of where we've come from, may we go forward knowing that truth. And we say all together as one church body, amen. Come, the table is open.